This is Mike Sedan with the Crucial Talks Podcast. I'm glad you're here to understand what drives people. Thanks again for listening, and please visit www.crucialtalks.com to contact me if you have any questions, would like me to speak at your organization, or have some ideas for the show. You'll also find out a little more about me, just like you will today. I grew up in Ferndale, California. It's a beautiful small town in Northern California. Today's episode is about the time they wanted to blow up my hometown with a fuel air bomb. Yeah, you heard it right. A group of politicians acting on behalf of the President of the United States was going to blow up my town for the greater good. So don't switch off this podcast thinking I'm a conspiracy theorist, although I might get more listeners that way. My little town of Ferndale has been used as a scenic location for TV shows and movies, including The Majestic, Salem's Lot, and Outbreak. Outbreak was a movie about a virus spreading throughout a small town and threatening the rest of the country if it wasn't contained. So let's listen to this scene from Outbreak, where the president's advisors are talking about a way to contain the outbreak. Then we'll use it to discuss groupthink and the role social identity plays in groupthink so that we can be more aware of when it might happen and how to counter it. The most optimistic projection you, Sam Ritt, is willing to make for the spread of the virus is this. 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours. The containment procedure must be viewed objectively. Be compassionate, but be compassionate globally. Thank you. All right, all right, please, please. The president's ETA from the East Asia Economic Summit is about 20 hours from now. He wants a recommendation by then from this group. Now, as I understand it, you want to firebomb the town of Cedar Creek, California, population 2,600, with something called a fuel air bomb, <clears throat> the most powerful non-nuclear weapon in our arsenal. The way it works, it explodes, sucks in all available oxygen to the core, vaporizes everything within a mile of ground zero, men, women, children, and one airborne virus. Destruction complete, case closed, crisis over. This Constitution of the United States, I've read it cover to cover. I don't find anything in it about vaporizing 2,600 American citizens. But it does say several times that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process. So, a couple things before clean sweep is even considered. One, unanimous, unwavering support for the president on this one. And I mean public. You're going to stand there shoulder to shoulder with him. He goes down, you go down. And the second thing is, I want an army of experts citing hundreds and thousands of lab experiments telling any idiot with a camera that there was no other way. You got that? Hmm? No member of this government is going to go sneaking off to the Washington Post telling them how they were the sole voice of opposition. If there is a voice of opposition out there, I want him in here now. Those are the citizens of Cedar Creek. Go on, look at them. These are not statistics, ladies and gentlemen. They're flesh and blood. And I want you to burn those into your memories. Because those images should haunt us till the day we die. In that clip, we heard a group of people deciding to firebomb a small town in the United States of America. We can use this clip to help us better understand groupthink. Groupthink really has three parts to it. First, it happens in highly cohesive groups. In other words, groups that share an identity that's very important to them are more likely to have groupthink. Second, the importance of that shared identity to the group increases the likelihood of conformity in that group. 
And third, conformance in that group is very important to group members. In fact, the need for consensus is so strong that it can override things like critical thinking, debates, and exchanging conflicting ideas. Although this is a scene from a movie, there have been decisions made by presidential advisory groups that are cited as examples of groupthink and have led to poor outcomes. Some of the cases include being unprepared for the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Bay of Pigs, and escalating the Vietnam War. Look at some more recent decisions like invading Iraq and dealing with Syria, and you may find a few more cases. Groupthink is normally considered a negative. A group, because they are highly cohesive and don't want to make waves, tend to agree with each other and seek consensus as their main goal, rather than thinking through all the options they may have. This means that the most important thing is maintaining this feeling of togetherness in the group. The result is not just a poor decision, but a decision that results in negative outcomes. In the scene from Outbreak, we heard a lot of this going on. We heard that they wanted this togetherness. They wanted everybody to agree to have a united front when they made this decision. But if you're like me, it sounded like the decision was already made. Now, we use this example because it's an example of a presidential national-level decision. And we talked about the Bay of Pigs and Vietnam and what is happening in the Middle East. And we can see in these decisions how groupthink can happen. But now we can actually apply this to the day-to-day decisions we see. Can you think of times you dealt with groupthink in a business meeting? Have you seen it with the executives in your organization? Has groupthink happened in your family? What about in another group you belong to, like a church or in your community? Think about those times the consensus was more important than having an honest discussion. In these group decision-making situations where a group think occurs, the decision of the group can actually be outside of what any one individual may have decided on their own had they not been in that group. Another way to think of this is the groupthink decision can be outside of the norms of a single person. In a groupthink decision, if you polled each group member individually, then averaged each individual decision, the groupthink decision would be outside of that average. This means people make decisions in groups that they normally would not on their own, and this is the power of identity. When we identify strongly with the group, will bury our own thoughts that may disagree with that group. In these strong groups, people that violate this consensus seeking, it would be like violating the friendship between group members. That's a really powerful motivator in the reason that groupthink happens. So how do we overcome this? We know that groupthink happens because people don't want to violate the in-group beliefs and norms. These are signs that groups have strong cohesion and they like each other. But like bacon, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. So what can we do? We can create normal behavior and acceptance of normal behavior that goes against what we see in groupthink. When groupthink happens, we see some signs. Signs like a limited number of alternatives that are talked about. There's no serious consideration of views that are outside of the perceived majority viewpoint and avoiding ideas from those outside the group, like experts, that may be contrary to the group's view. So if these things happen when groupthink happens, we can start to apply some tools on how to avoid groupthink. 
Knowing these things and also what we know about self-categorization and social identity can develop ideas to reduce the chance of groupthink. For example, we know strong teams have a shared identity and that they use this identity to make sense of what is happening around them and to make decisions. We know that a person's reality is based on their perception of what is going on and that perception is based on the identity that is important to them at that time. We know that people need this feeling of belonging because they are social storytelling animals. So one way we can reduce the chance of groupthink is by our understanding of self-categorization and social identity. The question is, can we create norms for the group that reduce the chance of groupthink? The answer is absolutely we can. We can put fixes into place that have to deal with a couple of things. First, they must not threaten the group identity. For example, when looking at groupthink in the past, such as during President Nixon's handling of Watergate, we see that his advisors not only wanted to remain part of that group, they also wanted to protect the group from outside threats. It's the same thing we saw in the movie clip from Outbreak. And the second thing we have to deal with is that the fixes must create constructive conflict. It has to be positive conflict, not negative, not a threat. All that means is the conflict doesn't drive the group apart or create identities in the members that they will use to behave from then on, as opposed to using that group identity to behave. If that happens, we could have fragmented groups that identify more with being the devil's advocate than they do with the decision-making group. So all of this is to say that we can balance between two ends of a spectrum. Imagine on one end are unicorns and rainbows where everybody just wants to get along. On the other end is a bunch of individuals that have behaviors rooted in identities outside of the decision-making group. All you're going to have is conflict and fighting. Our goal is to exist in the middle somewhere, a golden mean between two extremes. Think of it like driving a car down a highway. We can maneuver our car between the lane lines. We may even drive outside the lane lines every once in a while. We just don't want to go off the road into a ditch or hit a bridge abutment. So here are some tactics we can use. The first set is based on protecting the group identity. So these three next tools deal with that first concern of protecting the group identity. Tool one, we need to let people fail safely. This benefits us in a couple of ways. First, the group is never threatened. Second, this lets us deal with complexity. This is important because people will protect their identity at all costs if it is important to them. Failing safely lets people take risks without threatening their identity. And this thought of risk leads us to the next tactic. Tool number two is a tactic that's like a kid who's afraid of the dark, then is given a flashlight. We talk about the risk involved in making a decision and then how we can mitigate those risks. So that tool is to talk about the risks that we're dealing with. And by bringing those risks into the light, we reduce fear and stress. We open up communication. And the final tactic, the third tool that protects the group identity, also reduces the chance of groupthink by allowing group members to adopt different roles and to talk about the problem from that role. As long as everyone understands this is a behavior of the group, the group is never threatened. This also allows other viewpoints to come into play that may not have normally been brought up. So now let's move into the second group of tools. 
where the first set of tools protect the group identity, the second set helps us make sure we are approaching conflict with a positive lens so that the conflict is constructive. Tool number one takes us back to the metaphor used about staying on the road between the lane lines. We need a map. We need lines painted on the road to guide us, and we need signs. Positive conflict happens in the same way. We need a framework and rules to guide the discussion. This framework should cover things like responsibilities, analysis, research, how to develop alternatives, requirements to bring in additional solutions, and evaluating suggestions. The purpose of this is to keep the discussion focused on the problem and not critical of the people. Criticism is necessary, but not criticism of the person. Focus on the issue. Tool number two, the suggestions that are developed need to be protected even if they are not the majority opinion. This helps to develop good discussions around these alternatives and may help open eyes to things we didn't see before. It lets us at least glance at what may have been only in our peripheral group vision. We can focus on it and may add a lot of value to the discussion by taking a look at those other suggestions. Tool number three, use aids to help the discussion so the group doesn't stay stuck in a particular mindset. By using a discussion aid, we can ensure we truly evaluate as many options as possible while we have a good discussion and analysis. Ultimately, these three tools are to take a positive approach to conflict, to stay focused on the problem, to deal with suggestions without attacking the person or the group identity, and most importantly, we delay the decision to reduce the chance that groupthink will set in. This episode has talked about groupthink as a product of cohesive groups with strong identities that like each other and want to remain part of that group. These things are not bad, but like we said earlier, too much of a good thing, like bacon, can be a bad thing. The goal of this episode was to give us some tools to use, and these tools were based on two separate ideas. One, protect the group identity, while two, allowing us to deal with conflict in a positive way while reducing the chance for groupthink. We all see the negatives of groupthink. We see it all the time. We may not be able to pinpoint it. Groupthink can lead to everything from invading a country to where you will eat lunch. We also see the positives of strong group cohesion and teams that like each other. Two ends of a spectrum. The tools we talked about today can help us stay in the middle, can help us stay on the road when dealing with group decisions. If you'd like to talk more about this, please visit www.crucialtalks.com and reach out to me. I'd love to connect with you if you have any questions, would like me to talk to your organization, have any advice for me, or have any ideas for what you would like to see in a future episode. Please reach out, let me know. Have a great week, and remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.